You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, wow. You know what? The imagination now. Everybody has changed. Now they're getting so uh, creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do. Man, it's, it's, this is the best I've seen. Yeah, when you jump that damn high, you got a lot of time. To up the floor. Reads a drop down. Kobe! Oh! A high! Down hard! Kobe Bryant! Very deep, yeah. Blocked by LeBron! That basketball oh, oh, oh. will never be the same! <laughs> so that now is entered the fray. Yes! And we're back on Hardwood Radio. Uh, ben, it's a uh, sad news that uh, the world of basketball has been a preview to in the last few hours. Uh, Craig Sager, after a two-year battle with leukemia, has passed away. Yes, um, Kevin. It's very, uh, it's, it's very atypical that um, people mourn a broadcaster so much because um, sideline reporters are usually an afterthought after the game. They're not there to uh, shine. They're there to make uh, their interview subject uh, shine. But what makes Craig Sager's uh, passing so uh, sad and melancholic is that, um, first of all, he was a very colorful character. Um, he, if you guys don't know him, if you Google Craig Sager, S-A-G-E-R, he wore, always wore the most colorful, uh, funny, uh, um, original outfits uh, that contrasted with his very um, professional and classy personality uh, on the sidelines. And also, he lived his battle with leukemia uh, very publicly, and he refused to let uh, death get the better of him before he his last breath. Yeah, we're talking about a man here who stood defiant in front, the face of death, smiling and being his most awesome self on the on national television, knowing he was doomed and knowing like disease was getting a little more of him every day. Um, he he has he went in the classiest. Uh, in the classiest, most uh, gentlemanliest way possible. I am going to miss Greg Sager. I don't know about you, Kevin, but um, I, I grew up on television. Television did like half of my upbringing. And I started watching basketball when I was maybe nine or ten. Like, like I started watching regularly when, um, when Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway were drafted in the NBA. Okay. And and Craig Sager has been there since then. Like, he's been a part of my life since then. I feel like I'm losing a family member today. Well, yeah, I understand what you're saying, absolutely. Uh, for me, Craig Sager, I've discovered him over the last few years, uh, paying more attention to basketball. But he was covering other sports. He was a on-the-field yes. reporter in the late 70s when Hank Aaron in his 714th home run to surpass Babe Ruth. He was the one running after Aaron with his tape recorder <laughs> saying, dude, what are you thinking? Blah, blah, blah. So uh, Craig Sager has a lot of histories outside of just basketball. Basketball became That's his home, true. became his uh, go-to league. But before that, you're talking about a Hall of Fame career. Truly, he was elected in the Sports Podcasting uh, Hall of Fame to 
days ago. Uh, what about timing? And it was his uh, mm-hmm. wedding anniversary yesterday too. So uh, yes, he lived every single moment up until the end. You could say. Yes, he lived every moment. He did what he had to do before he left, and he will forever have my respect for him. So long, Craig Seeger, Hardwood Radio was a really, really big fan of you. And in order to celebrate your memory, we're going to be as passionate as you were, and we're going to talk about some basketball. You know, yeah, but just before we go there, because yeah, just to look at his body of work, how you interview somebody from the sideline in the heat of a game right after a deception or a big moment is something that I have experienced personally. And mm-hmm. I have uh, interviewed players after a big game, after big victories, and after a big defeat. And it's always touchy. It's easy to go into cliche. It's easy to always ask the same questions. It's easy to get nothing. But to truly have a conversation the way Sager used to have, mm-hmm. either with Popovich, we all know the story that went down over the, the years and years of them talking to each other, but with uh, big players like Michael Jordan after his return, the question that just, in a few words, go straight to the point, and you get that emotion or that reaction from the player. Yes. It's an art form that is sometimes overlooked because we see it all the time watching live sports, but it's something that it is a lot harder than it looks like. Uh, absolutely, uh, it's you have you have a couple seconds. Yeah, I think 30 or 45 seconds in order to make something memorable, in order to get that quote, in order. To, and Craig Seager got so many of these moments. Uh, you're right about the Hank Aaron, uh, about the Hank Aaron uh, home run. Uh, Hank Aaron paid tribute to him today uh, publicly, also because you know he's a part of probably his best memory as a human being. Um, and um, he had so many of these moments in basketball with Greg Popovich, with Kevin Garnett, with Steve Nash. He, he, he worked a chemistry with the players that is unparalleled. I don't know if we'll get another uh, sideline reporter in basketball who is that good. Uh, another thing that happened late last night was the deadline for the CBA uh, agreement before one side or the other could either lock out or strike. And it happened last night. Uh, both sides, the NBA and the NBA Players Association, have come to a seven-year agreement. We'll go in details over the next few shows probably, but one thing that is a brand new rule, and maybe I'll break it, uh, uh, it'll be breaking news to you, there is a two-way contract now with the D-League. Yes. So uh, you can have two players in the D-League on two-way contracts, which is a big step forward to not just give credibility to the D-League, but to actually help the D-League to give players more minutes when they're not going to get the minutes with the first team and actually use, example, for the Raptors and 905s to a better extent that they do now. And you know what it means also. It means that the possibility of having a D-League team in Montreal just just increased uh, because because the D-League is getting more and more legit every day. Honestly, Kevin, if you told me that today, uh, if you, do you want the D-League team this season, I don't want to see, I don't, I don't want to because I don't want to see players like starve being paid 25 grand for an entire year of work, like having to get a second job during the offseason. But like, like you said, this is an excellent, excellent uh, news. Um, the, I haven't yet to um, I haven't yet dug into the CBA. I will before next show, guys. I promise you. But uh, I've noticed like there's going to be a huge increase in salary again, 
And the first guy who is uh, eligible to it is Paul George. Yeah. And um, he, I think he's eligible by the end of his next sal- of his next contract to have something ridiculous like forty million dollars uh-huh. a year. Uh, well, something like that, yeah. But uh, you know what gets my attention is when you look at who is in charge of the NBA on mm-hmm. the, the player side, and you have Chris Ball and you have uh, LeBron James, president, vice yes. president, acting. And you know what tells me is your biggest players. If your biggest players are willing to work together with the players to better the players' association itself, this is very a healthy players' association. You know what I mean? It's if the big guys stand up for the little guys, they're stronger together, and that's what I think is fascinating in the world of basketball. How the players together over the last decade have truly been able to become maybe the not necessarily the best paid by one contract, but the most represented, the most equal, the, the better contract for the whole spectrum of the players and not just the superstars. And that is fascinating to me. And I have to applaud LeBron James and other players that have stepped up to help everyone. Oh, um, yeah. LeBron James, Chris Paul, and big ups also to their representative, Michelle Roberts, who came in two years ago with two or three years ago with a knife between her teeth being like, the players are not going to get screwed this time. And to uh, Adam Silver, who is the rightful heir to David Stern, who sat down at the table, heard their complaints, heard their demands, and negotiated some compromise. Uh, it is, to my, uh, to my memory, the first, um, the first deal to happen in over 20 years without a lockout in professional sports. The first CBA to be yeah. be signed without a strike and a lockout in professional sports. I mean, or never get to Davis, that point at least. Yeah, to never actually yes. reach a deadline or to that's where you start to see pressure tactics on both sides, and that's where it becomes confrontational. They were able to agree before it, it reaches that point. I, I'm very proud of uh, of uh, basketball for that. Like, like they set an example for other sports. They are. Probably, probably the mo- the sports in showing the more growth right now. They're not the most uh, uh, profitable, but they're showing the more the more yeah. growth, and they're and they're showing the way they're lead. They're being leaders right now. Basketball is being a leader of the industry, of the sports entertainment industry, in order to. Well, uh, it makes sense too because uh, when you're looking at uh, the past CBA, the one before the one that just finished, so two ago basically. Yes. It went from 57% of the revenue was going to the player. They went down to 50-50. But if you have 50-50 of a bigger pie, you get more money. So concessions were made for now. It's still 50-50, but a lot more revenue, a lot more profit that they share. And that that brings uh, owners with the possibility to have more players. Who would have thought that the Cavaliers of Cleveland, what used to be a small market team, would be the best team in the Eastern Conference by far and reigning champion? Who thought that a small team like Golden State, which a few years ago was a laughing stock of the NBA not too far ago, mm-hmm. would now become the darling of every single basketball fan almost out there? Those things happened and gave a chance to happen because of this IBA that just finished and the one that's going to continue. Absolutely. I could not agree uh, more with you. And um, it is there, like they're they're the healthiest basketball is the healthiest professional sport right now and it's it's a pleasure because uh, as you can imagine guys 
NBA league passes playing at my house from like seven to midnight every night of the week, and I could not have lived with a lockout. Honestly, I would have thrown myself off the roof of my apartment building. All right, uh, and another subject that you have been bang on for the last few weeks. Jeff yes. Hornacek, and he's finally maybe getting the credit. <laughs> If you go to Yahoo.com, an article that came out earlier today, they talk about how maybe hiring Jeff Hornacek was one of only, if not the only, good move that Phil Jackson made since he's been the president of the New York Knicks. Yeah, Chris Mannix, what the hell? Like, I've been saying this, like, you remember, guys, like, if you guys go through the, uh, through the archive of Hardwood Radio, You will find me saying in January of this year that saying that the Phoenix Suns did a terrible mistake by firing Jeff Hornacek, that he was an excellent coach, and whoever will get will get him will have uh, will will have a coach that will improve them on their hand. And Jeff Hornacek is doing exactly that with the Knicks. Like he was their most valuable acquisition in the offseason, and he is. He, he he is coaching the only team in the NBA that has a winning record and a starting five with a negative rating, a negative point rating. Like, like picture this. Like he he found the strengths in, on, in his bench player and he exploits the strengths of his bench players so well that um, there can be two full units of productive players on the Knicks right now. I I really really love what Jeff Hornacek is doing. He he made. Justin Holiday, a, a, a true blue NBA player, he reignited the career of Brandon Jennings. He he introduced Kuzminskas to the world, uh, and Porzingis is keeps well, absolutely murdering opponents out there. He's finally getting trusted. He's finally having the confidence from in his head coach. With last yes. year and his emergence, yeah, he emerged. He was. Uh, contender for Rookie of the Year. He was uh, having mm -hmm. a great season, but never trusted with the minutes, never giving the chance to... Sometime you have to be given the chance to fail before you can truly succeed. And if you don't have that, and if you're going to be benched after you make a mistake, you're not going to play as hard the next game or you'll be more careful. This year, he seems to be at least freed a little bit under Hornacek. And, and last year, too, was... Um The triangle. They played him in the triangle all the time. And now Jeff Hornacek, who is, I can't say enough good things about him, a tremendous NBA, um, NBA mind, a tremendous basketball mind. He's drawing plays for Porzingis. Like he's drawing plays in order, to, in order to make the most of his abilities. Like Porzingis is unstoppable when he's all over the floor. And when he, when he plays this season, like he is running from one end to another all game he's coming off screens he's driving to the basket he's pop pick and popping he's pick and rolling it's a thing of beauty like i really 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 would be angry at the knicks if they messed up that relationship jeff hornacek is the first good coach they had in 15 years uh if i don't count mike d'antoni because mike d'antoni never really stood a chance yeah and i really really would not like the knicks to mess that up All right, let's get into the board here. Uh, should the Mavericks start tanking right about now, Ben? If you want to yes. be bad, might as well be bad all the way. <laughs> they're already last, so you want to make sure that they're last in the in the Western Conference. But here, here, here's a little context, guys. Today is December 15, 
and we're uh, it's the first day uh, of the year where you can trade the players you've signed over the summer or you trade for for under the, uh, the summer. So a lot of, like a lot of teams are going to start making moves now. Like the, the the trade window basically is from now to uh, February 23rd. So the first team that is on on every, the questions on everybody's lips is the Dallas Mavericks because right now they're having the worst uh, <clears throat> they're having the worst uh, record in the NBA along with the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Should they start thinking? The answer is yes because so uh, they're sellers. They're trying to sell. They're going to try to sell Dirk or get better assets for the future by selling their present assets. But the problem with that is that they don't have many assets. They're like, do you play poker, Kevin? Yes, sometimes. And maybe they can pull off a good bluff. They're, they're like, they don't have any good cards in their heads. Like, that's the thing. But the only good card they have is Andrew Bogut, who was a key cog in the, uh, in the uh, Golden State Warriors uh, two title runs. Um, he is very good defensive center. He's a very good... Uh, is a very good shot blocker, a rim protector, and he is the only piece that has value right now, really. And but they need to get they need to get talent. They need like an infusion of talent in their veins right now. The 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 the, uh, the uh, Dallas Mavericks. So I went to the trade machine for you guys, and I've traded Andrew Bogut to a team who needs a rim protector, the um, uh, Portland Trailblazers. Who uh, who will give in return a guy they signed to an obnoxious amount of money this summer, Evan Turner, who does not fit at all with the Trailblazers, and Evan Turner is going to get all the uh, Evan Turner basically is going to get the ball in uh, in Dallas. Like Evan Turner, you get the ball, you go score, you go do what you do best, and so Evan Turner is going to go to Dallas. He's going to be great. He's going to be a good. Uh, first slash second unit uh, leader and Andrew Bogut is going to finally uh, stop the ble- the defensive bleeding of the Portland Trailblazers. Here, my turn. All right. I got yes. this. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I digged a little bit and it wasn't the trade machine, but I found a website and some good trades per proposition. So here's one yes, for you. Yes. Between Chicago and Indiana, Chicago gets Jeff Teague and CJ Miles. Indiana oh, gets. I like that. Indiana gets Ray John Rondo, Bobby Portis, and Sacramento's 2017 first-round draft pick, which will probably be a very high one. So, the in players, Jeff Teague, CJ Miles, go to Chicago. Ray John Rondo, Bobby Portis. Ray John Rondo hasn't played out well with Chicago so far. The team being better with him off the court than on. This way, he's off the court for good for Chicago, and they get two players that can actually give them more depth. I like that. I like this because um, Chicago needs shooting. Chicago needs an injection of shooting. And with Jeff Teague, they get the shooting. And they do not sacrifice on the passing and the playmaking. And uh, C.J. Miles is one of the better uh, three and the shooters. They're giving up a lot. Um, the uh, Sacramento pick is protected, top 10 protected again this year. So if Sacramento finishes in the bottom 10, they're still getting their pick, but um, it's worth it's worth it. I love that trade, Kevin. I would pull the trigger if I was uh, I would pull the trigger if I was the um, the uh, Chicago Bulls. Now your next trade: Should the Nuggets finally pull the trigger? 
Yes, with Wilson Chandler, because the, with the Nuggets basically are the team with the most assets in the NBA south of the Boston Celtics. Um, they have a lot of young guys. They have a lot of good NBA, NBA contributors right now. And I know for a fact they've been trying to trade Wilson Chandler for the past couple of years. And Wilson Chandler, every time they try to trade him, he gets injured and he gets injured for the entire season. So now he is healthy, he can score, and um, and I would trade him. You know who I would trade him to? Go ahead. I would trade him to the Toronto Raptors. Oh, yeah, for some more depth for the trying to beat the damn Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Final you're talking about. But yes, because he can play two positions. He can play small forward, he can play power forward. And the, th- the only thing is they would have to send the Mari Carroll's contract somewhere. And I'm pretty sure there's a team like ready to take Carroll for a second round draft pick. There's no problem. The Mari Carroll has never lived up to the expectation in Toronto. He's been marred by injuries. I would give um, Norman Powell for um, for a um, uh, for Wilson Chandler and a conditional first round draft pick. But with Wilson Chandler, um, the, uh, the the Raptors will finally be able to open up the floor. They'll be able to play small. And they would they would make them a much better uh, basketball team. I have another one for you, but this one yes, it, yes. It's, a, it's a three for one, and it's big name, so you know they'll oh. never happen. But okay, Miami Heat can't score, and the Portland Trail Blazers can't defend. So yes. Miami gets C.J. McCollum, Meyer Leonard, and Festus Azili. Portland oh. Portland gets Hassan Whiteside. Huh. I like that, Kevin. You're getting better at your trade machine. Well, yes. Well, oh. well thanks, uh, FanRagSports.com, for the help right there. Oh, I like this. I like this. It's a really, it's a godfather offer. If I am uh, Miami, it's exactly the type of offer that uh, Pat Riley would do to another team. Yeah, you got three, uh, three young kids. <laughs> one uh, that is highly touted in Fantasy If you can get him on the right side of thing and. Portland gets a big name that might rejuvenate and get some more uh, more uh, rim protection there. So the key the key player here is uh, CJ McCollum, right? CJ McCollum is a lights out shooter. He can play. He is a tireless competitor. I like that man. I I, I really um, I I would do it. I would do it. I would sign away if I was uh, Portland. So so um, that that it, answers your question of how the Portland Trailblazers <laughs> can get better. That's a way they can get better. Absolutely. Uh, either if it's either Andrew Bogut or Hassan Whiteside. Uh, Whiteside has been renowned as a little bit of a locker room problem, but I'll do it. I do it like uh, there's no there's no other way of getting two players like that. And if you want to, if you need to get better defensively, uh, that's a great way to do it. And uh, I'll just skip one, and I'll go straight to Philly because Philly yes. is interesting to me. Uh, the yes. amount of assets, the uh, it's incredible what they could do, and it's unfortunate that it hasn't happened this year so far. Uh, what are your thoughts on Philly, and what do they need to do now? Do they need to train somebody, and who, and how do they build that team on maybe, for now, Embiid and Simmons next season? Or maybe later well, this season if he comes in. Well, I have traded CJ McCollum also <laughs> on my end, uh, because um, because, well... They need. They will need to trade him at some point in order to get some value in return. It's the only value piece 
that they can legitimately trade trade for a game changer. Um, Philly, um, there's Nerlens Noel that has demanded a trade and who has signed today with a new agent that is reputable for forcing his player out of situations they don't like, Dan Fagan. Um, I think they should they should try and get uh, CJ McCollum for Nerlens Noel, and they're not they're not like Portland's not going to do this one on one. Uh, Noel is uh, is a very good player, is a very good defensive player, especially. He's a terrific shot blocker, but um, they will need more than Nerlens Noel for a, a lights out scorer like CJ McCollum. I say Nerlens Noel and and um, the uh, Lakers' first round pick this year, which has a decent chance of being in the lottery and a moderate chance of being top 10, I would that I would put a trigger immediately towards Portland. What's going to happen with DeMarcus Cousins? Oof, 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 oof. They're, gonna, they're going to lose him at some point. Sacramento is going to lose him at some point in... Uh, in their uh, in their lives in the next two years, he's going to either uh, leave in free agency or he's going to force his way out of town. Um, I don't think he's they're going to get a uh, loads of riches for him because he's he's really uh, a renowned head case around the NBA and like teams are going to be wary of trading for him. Um, I had, like, the trade I had made in the trade machine, uh, I traded him to the most, the gambling uh GM in the NBA, uh, Daryl Morey of the Houston Rockets, along with his teammate, Omri Caspi, who is on, uh, <coughs> pardon me, Coach Dave Yeager's shit list, if, you, uh, if you'll allow me the expression, uh, to uh, the uh, Houston Rockets in exchange for the, the Rockets' Excellent young center, Clint Capella. Um, Capella is not half the player that Cousins is offensively, but um, he's a good. Uh, it's a good building stone to come from uh, to, to to build on. Trevor Ariza and Corey Brewer in order to make the salaries match, and of course a first round pick. Um, they would be an all for nothing move for Houston. It would be a win a championship now or. Uh, or uh, get 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 wrecked uh, and lose your job, but I do it. Like, <laughs> like I think I think it's the only s- situation where someone is going to gamble on the Marcus Cousins. Uh, let's just go back to Donatas Montayunas. What's yes. his situation? Do you expect him to move, or what do you see happening with him? I, I tried to trade him, honestly, but nobody he's not even answered. Up nobody, tra- yeah, nobody wants him. He, he he's not he's not showing up in the trade machine. Like, that's a problem. But the thing is, Donatas Motiunas has a weird contract situation. He was supposed to sign a contract extension, but he didn't, and he let it go uh, outside of the uh, outside of the uh, deadline. And then he signed a hostile offer from the Brooklyn Nets, who were trying to get some talent. They're desperately trying to get some talent on their team. And it was a sneaky good move, like a seven-footer. Seven every time you can sign a seven-footer who can shoot threes, it's a very good move. And their Houston Rockets have matched the offer, and and they're kind of keeping him hostage right now. He doesn't have an official contract, so they can't uh, trade him. I thought that we could trade him like we could trade his rights 
is going to be a rights to another team in order to uh, get him get him out of town and get him like away from Houston because um, he's very, still a very good basketball player. Like he he was supposed to be traded to uh, to uh, Detroit last year, but Detroit had uh, a doubts about his back and his injury history. Um, I I don't know I don't know if we're going to see him this year. Unfortunately, he's he seems to be healthy, but he's held back. So, I've, like put an asterisk against his name. We're we're going to keep uh, monitoring his situations for the next uh, couple of weeks. Speaking of keeping on monitoring, will Paul with Paul George actually move this time around? That's a good point because Paul George is. A very good player. He is one of my favorite players. Like, if I have a top five of the players I like watching the most, Paul George probably number two or three. He's a superstar. He's a great two-way player. But um, the Indiana Pacers are not doing a very good job at surrounding him with top talent. And he might leave in free agency in two years. He really might do it. So will they try to cash out, cash in on him? The answer is most likely not, uh, but for the sake for the sake of it, I put his name in the trade machine, and here's what came up: Paul George would be traded to the um, Denver Nuggets, the other team with a lot of assets to trade, alongside Glenn Robinson III, who is right now their starting uh, shooting guard, in return for Danilo Gallinari. Um, the fiery Italian, um, Emmanuel Moutier, who is their starting point guard now, but uh, there's signs of tensions between him and the management. And um, who, who, who was there? Oh, Malik Beasley. And some draft oh, considerations, one or two draft picks. Oh, that's a, that's a big price to pay, though, still with Malik and all. Uh, I For Paul George, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. I think Malik can 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 blossom into a very important piece, uh, but with I I do it for I do it for Paul George. I do it for a guy like him. He's very young still. I think he's 27, 28. Yeah, yeah, it's worth it. Like this guy, this guy has made it. He's blossomed. He's made a superstar. I I, I do it. And to finish the show, as always, from Valparaiso, our prospect of the week, Alec Peters. Yes, I had a, a debate about Alec Peters on a French college basketball podcast last night. All right, um, nice. The guys are a fan of him. Um, they say I heard a lot of comparison with Doug McDermott from the Chicago Bulls, who was uh, a star in Creighton, who was one of the five best scoring uh, college basketball players of all time. Eh, I don't know, Kevin. I don't know if he has like. He has the basketball acumen of Doug McDermott. Doug McDermott has fought against like terrific teams. He he beat terrific teams at the collegial level, and he completely re-engineered his body to be a pro. Like he was a little chubby. He had a funny haircut. Uh, he he worked his tail off in order to become a good role player as a pro, and he and he's done it. Like he is the only reliable shooter on the Bulls right now. Uh, he's not playing much. He's playing, I don't think, I think 20 minutes a game maybe. But he is really, really reliable uh, role player as far as long as he doesn't have to create offense. And Alec Peters, 
strikes me as a little slow. He uh, he tends to disappear also when the game gets physical. He's asked to play a lot of four in uh, Valparaiso. Um, he's not physically. He's physically very disadvantaged against uh, against uh, more uh, more athletic bigs, especially on the inside. Yes, like what I like is that he can shoot the three and he can shoot off screens like Porzingis does, which is very impressive for someone of his size. So, yeah, I heard a lot of comparison last night uh, with Matt Bonner from the uh, San Antonio Spurs, like the Red Mamba. I like that comparison better. Like, Matt Bonner is basically just asked to trot up and down the court and make threes. That sounds like a reasonable life plan for Alex Peters. A lot of people talk, uh, think about Alex Peters as a first-round pick right now. I'm not buying it. I am putting him in the second round, and I'm putting him as a situational NBA player. I don't think he will be. Uh, I don't think he will be a star or even a reliable role player on the team. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. He's he's got a big season ahead of himself with Valparaiso. He is expected to bring them to the NCAA tournament. We'll see what happens. All right, that was fun, Ben. So, and uh, as always, until next week. Have a good basketball. Likewise. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com. <laughs>